0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. So Ephesians chapter 3 begins with an interruption. Uh, The end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 3 are this prayer that Paul has for the church and this response of what we should be doing in light of what Jesus has done. But right in the middle of this prayer, he stops himself and begins to start sharing a little bit about who he is and what's going on in his life and how the church in Ephesus should think about him. And he surrounds this whole conversation around this idea of a mystery he uses the word four times in these 14 verses to talk about what he came to preach and this idea of a mystery or a secret which is mysterion in greek has this idea of this thing that's been hidden that needs to be accessed in order for you to belong And he refers to this mystery as the gospel that he preached. And this mystery is something that uh, does something surprising. Not only is the content of that ministry surprising, it's actually something we've already talked about. But what this mystery does in us and what it does in the church is really shocking and it's quite upside down. And so we're going to be reading the passage today. Look for that that word, that phrase, the mystery, the, the gospel and the mystery surrounding it. But then also listen to what is that mystery producing in Paul? What is it producing within the church? And so that way we can figure out what is the mysterious gospel producing in us before we dive into next week as Paul continues his prayer. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, For this reason, again, keep in mind, he just stopped praying just to share this. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, that it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, share and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. And there's a lot to unpack uh, in this passage, but surrounding this idea of the gospel that was given, this, ministry, this mystery that was revealed, Paul begins to start sharing some things that are really surprising uh, to its listeners and to us. You see, because we all as human beings, and especially us as Americans, we have this competitive edge. Uh, We love to compete. We're obsessed with people or things that are the best. We're drawn to things that we view as successful. And it really marks our life. And um, whether it's the, the small game that you're playing with friends um, in their apartment late at night, uh, whether it's the promotion you're trying to get a job or whether it's the grades that come back on your report card, there is this thing within inside of us that we are continue trying to move towards significance, high levels of performance and accomplishment. And yet there's something about what Paul is saying here, who he himself has high levels of accomplishments. That says this mystery of the gospel does something of the opposite. It reverses the power structure. It reverses the idea of what you would naturally think of something that you would be striving for. And so this is uh, just four things that we need to understand as a result in the meaning of this mystery. Number one, it's revealed by the Spirit. It's now revealed by um, intellectual assent or even reason or logic. There's something of this mystery that's revealed by the Spirit. Second thing, it creates in us humility in our posture. It does something inside of us in terms of how we see ourselves. Thirdly, it brings about freedom in how and confidence in how we approach God. So it does something in us and then it also moves us in confidence and boldness. And the last thing, is that this section starts and ends with this idea that his imprisonment, his suffering, is actually not bringing shame, it's bringing glory. And there's somehow glory in the midst of our suffering. So I wanna just work through these four different themes that that Paul is trying to emphasize here that that are orbiting around this idea of of a mystery that's being revealed by the Spirit. Um, A few verses down, when Paul picks back his prayer, he echoes this idea that this mystery is revealed by the Spirit. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so I want to begin with this idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the understanding of who he is, what he's done for us oftentimes is approached through an intellectual, academic, logical lens. And, and that's, that's not bad, honestly, for me in my own journey, that was a big part of it, spending a couple of years just trying to, to reason about this God and who Jesus was. But Paul, in writing to a highly intellectual and philosophical culture, says that this gospel, the mystery of the gospel, is revealed number one by the holy spirit something that god does he unveils it for us and then the second thing is that he reveals it in our inner being and this this phrase is not in primarily intellectual or logical there's something deep inside us which for for this ancient audience believe that actually uh, where our thoughts came from was not up here. They believed it happened in like our our guts, like in our liver and kidney. This is where they thought kind of the central thinking place was. And so there, when it talks about our inner being, it's something that's very earthy and biological. And I want to begin with this idea, not only because it begins that way in the text, but for us to approach the rest of this message, realizing that We are not here just to absorb more information um, because that will come and go and it brings very little change in us. But in order for us to not just have information but transformation, we need to be able to start praying that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would do something not only to us and in our thinking but actually in us and to actually believe but there could be a level of transformation that happens as a result of the spirit, which kind of leads into our second point. He says, I became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. And then he has this phrase, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Now that that phrase catches us by surprise that Paul refers to himself as less than the least another one of his letters he refers to himself as the chief of all sinners there's there seems to be this lens in which paul views himself that is not too lofty it's not caught up in some sort of hierarchy of achievement of performance and what he says in his letter to the philippians is he actually has all that like his pedigree in an in the ancient sense was incredibly high, he would even go as far as to say, in in kind of the ancient Jewish sense, he had the highest pedigree trained under the most influential rabbi, born of a certain household. And and yet, when he writes these letters, he refers to himself not by his position, not by his education, not by his uh, accomplishments, but he says, I am less than the least that when the Spirit of God reveals the mystery of God, there's something that shifts within our posture. Yeah, he shares this same thought in his letter to the Philippians, that after he goes through this huge pedigree of all of his accomplishments and all that he's done, he says this, "'But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. More on that in a minute becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. And I think that there is, there is this invitation lying within us that if the Spirit does his job in us and reveals the mystery of the gospel, one of the very first things that we will see is how we view ourselves. C.S. Lewis talks about how humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's actually thinking of ourselves less. It's actually viewing other people in a higher regard and viewing God in a much higher regard uh, so that we see ourselves differently and lowly. St. Augustine says, do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. Do you wish to be great? Then begin by being. Use desire to construct a vast and lofty fabric, think first about the foundations of humility. The higher your structure is to be, the deeper must be its foundation. And that's what, what Paul is saying here really as a model and an invitation for us. That when when the spirit is the one who reveals this mystery, it's not something that we went and, and, and changed. It's, it's interesting even when people kind of share their testimony um, I've noticed that oftentimes it's attached to uh, their journey of finding God. This book they read, this conversation they had, this journey or pilgrimage they went on. And what we see here is that Paul says, this was, this was done for me. This was not something that I seized. It was something that I received. It was something that was given to me. And because of that, he says, I, I'm less than the least. Think about the words of John the Baptist and when his disciples are saying, like, hey, Jesus is taking some of your disciples, Jesus is baptizing more people than you. And John's response to that is, I, I must become less so that he must become greater. And again, I think about how counterintuitive that is to so much of the messaging and the cultural narratives that we inherit of always moving up into the left and always kind of trying to move beyond our current state. And again, there's nothing wrong with drive and ambition and stewardship and creativity, but I think there's something that within us that we are invited into seeing ourselves as our, our needs and who we are, actually opportunities for us to lay down those things for the sake of others. He then moves in, he says this, in him and through faith in him, We may now approach God with freedom and confidence. So as Paul views himself lower, he then invites us to move towards God with greater levels of confidence, with greater levels of freedom. And I I think that those two things go hand in hand. When we view ourselves through the lens of humility, we begin to start seeing God through the lens of holiness. But we also sense this invitation to be drawn towards him. I think about how the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus. He says, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with, and here's the same word uh, that Paul uses, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now, as a culture, we have a high value for confidence. Uh, We applaud confidence and boldness. But if you look at the biblical narrative, if you look at anyone who ever approaches God, whether that be Moses or Abraham, Anyone coming into the Holy of Holies, Isaiah the prophet in chapter 6 of his book, uh, uh, John in the book of Revelation, when anyone ever approaches God's throne, there is really the absence of confidence. There's trepidation, there's overwhelmment, because just how grand and holy God is. Yet, there's something so surprising and beautiful, both about Ephesians 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, that says, Because of the mystery of the gospel, because of what the Spirit has revealed to us, yes, we see ourselves low and we see God high, but we see this invitation into who God is, we get to approach the the presence of God, the throne room of God with confidence and boldness. And unfortunately, we have a tendency to want to remove ourselves or layer ourselves from that. And and so how do we do that? How do we walk in humility and boldness at the very same time? I remember when, uh, right after we planted Light Church, I was 33 years old, felt very young as a senior pastor, and I was very curious on how to finish well. Um, so I got to have lunch with Dennis Keating, who's a, just a prominent pastor in North County, San Diego, who had just retired. And I remember just sitting down with him for lunch. I was just asking him about his life and his family and and how he was able to minister for so long. And how he was able to kind of possess this, this level of humility and was honestly positioning himself to serve and um, both me and other pastors. And I was asking about this and he, and he said this phrase that I'll never forget. I asked him and said, how did you do it? How did you live out this life so well? And as we're sitting there, he kind of pauses and, and looks up and said, I'm going to tell you what my mentor told me when I was your age and he said he looked at me and he said stay small under the mighty hand of god and i've never forgotten that moment and to be honest it has become the foundation for so much of how i want to live my life is that my goal even in my own my own world as a pastor is not to build something that will somehow bring gratification or exaltation to myself or to my name but rather my job as a, as a response to the gospel is to stay small under the mighty hand of god and when i do that i'm not kept away i'm invited in thomas akempis wrote how great peace and quietness would he possess who could cut off all vain anxiety and place all of his confidence in god to be able to be welcomed into that place. Now, uh, a a quick word on on power. Because oftentimes when you start having the conversation around uh, humility and we have the conversation around approaching God's throne room with with boldness and confidence, there kind of seems to be this cycle, what what do we do um, with influence and strength? What do we do with um, power? And I think what Paul is addressing here is our our relationship to power is different than that of the world. Power is not something that we are to be chasing after, but it's something that can be used. And and, and so for those, if you're watching this, and let's say you are a person of power, a person of means, or a person of influence, then what the gospel does is it invites you into using that for the purpose of serving others. And at the very same time, if you are watching this and you're like, I, I'm a person that has no power. I, I have no means of, of generating uh, influence or success. Then what the gospel does is it bestows dignity. You see, the, one of my favorite definitions of the gospel is it's the great equalizer. It, it draws people of power into humility and stewardship. And it draws people of a lowly state into dignity and confidence. And this is part of the mystery of what the gospel does. Not only does it bring together Jews and Gentiles, but even in a socioeconomic sense, even a kind of in a social hierarchy sense, what it does is it draws people, for those who culture has placed above God, it draws them underneath. Uh, the the great authority of God and for those who culture has dismissed as insignificant and draws them to a place not of just self-confidence or self-worth but of divine dignity and brings them into this place and then this section ends with maybe one of the most surprising um, themes of all and he touches on the first verse of this section and the last one he says for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And then the last verse is, I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are which are your glory. And Paul here, in taking a break from this prayer, starts talking about his imprisonment and his suffering. And he says things like, it's for you. My sufferings are... Are for your glory. And what he does is he flips the, the, the audiences. Obviously, he's addressing this like collective worry that they have for Paul's sufferings. He's addressing um, what would have been common in the ancient world, that suffering actually equates to shame. And he says something really interesting. He says, actually, this there's glory in our suffering. There's something about my imprisonment. There's something about my sufferings that is not bringing even glory on me. It's bringing glory to you. How does does that work? And again, I hope you see this. There's so many surprising things, which is why I think Paul uses the word mystery here, um, that is happening in this chapter. He talks about how we we understand god not by intellectualism but by being revealed to you. it talks about how our posture is not one of power but of humility it talks about how our approach is not one of timidity but of freedom and then ends it with saying that our suffering and our pain is actually something that brings about glory it's something that does something in us and so i just want to end our time together by addressing the concept of glory in light of the mystery of the gospel I'm sorry the the theme of suffering in light of the mystery of the gospel. because I recognize that um, that within our understanding of the Christian faith, suffering carries with with it uh, different different views and different understandings. There are those that come from, Christian traditions that really don't have a lot of space for suffering and they, they highly emphasize faith and miracles and signs and wonders and that all suffering is something that God uses for us for, to display His glory in terms of him eradicating it. And there are some who have very little faith that God can interrupt our suffering and they and they glorify, uh, they're suffering they there's a sense of like of, of owning it and and I think as followers of Jesus we have a really unique um, opportunity to to look at the suffering that's going on in our life and what Paul offers us here is this, how do we see the glory of God in the midst of it so a couple of quick thoughts number one is that Paul himself, uh, seems to view his suffering not as the absence of God, um, but really the, the very presence of God in his life. Look, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, when he talks about this, what he calls this thorn in his flesh. Now, we don't really know what it is, but clearly clearly something that has marked suffering in his life. He says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Or how in 1 Peter 4, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And so there's, there's a few things here that I think are really, really important for us to understand. Uh, suffering does, does three things for us that you that is unique in our understanding as Christians. Number one, suffering presents an opportunity for divine comfort. When Paul prays about his suffering, God's response is my grace is sufficient for you. The Psalms talk about how God is near to the brokenhearted. And so our suffering makes space, not for not for a sense of God being distant, but actually a sense of God being near. The second thing it does is not only does it does it provide comfort, but it actually provides um, uh, communion. It says that our suffering actually joins us in with Christ's suffering. So oftentimes we view suffering and we pray about suffering in terms of something that we need to escape from. But it seems for Paul and Peter and the early church fathers, it was suffering that actually joined them with Christ's suffering. And if you look at the teachings of Jesus, he invites his disciples to pick up their cross. And this is the theological term cruciform or cruciformity, that a part of the Christian life, sees suffering not as something to overcome or get through or to relieve, but as something to actually be embraced. It's not something that we celebrate. We don't celebrate pain. We don't celebrate loss. But what we do is we say, Lord, you are the one who has suffered the most and have lost the most. And so when I suffer and when I have lost, I am joined uniquely to you. And so like I said, not only do we have comfort, but we also have communion with Christ. And then the the second thing it does, it produces for us compassion. That when we suffer, it does something in our outward focus towards the world around us. That so many of the conversations that I have with people who are deeply hurting, it draws me back to the seasons and places in my life where I've experienced my own suffering. I've experienced my own sense of loss. And I just get a sense that there may be people watching this, and you're in a season season right now, whether that's physically or emotionally, financially, relationally, I mean, you name it, that, that suffering is marking your life. And I just want to remind you of those three things. Number one, you have an opportunity to receive the unique compassion of the Lord. Secondly, where is your level of communion? Are you seeing your suffering as something that joins you in with the sufferings of Christ? And this is literally what Paul says, so that, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So we get joined with Christ. And the last thing is, how does God use this suffering in your life to move you towards compassion for others? I mean, notice what Paul says here about his own suffering. This is for your glory. This is for you. His imprisonment, although it was about him, wasn't about him. It was about something else. It was about for the people that he loved. And so if you are, if you're watching this right now or listening to this right now, in, in your life right now is is just seems marked by an, an extra level of unrelenting suffering. Number one, I I pray right now that you would experience the deep comfort of the Holy Spirit. That you just sense his nearness in you. That you would know that God's not wasting your pain. He may not have caused your pain. where God's not the author of of confusion or death or darkness, uh, but he won't waste it, that you have the opportunity to find yourself joined together with Christ. And I would encourage you, if that's you in this season, one of the things you can do right now in the midst of your suffering is to say, Lord, how do you want to use it? How do you want to use me? How do you want to draw me towards compassion in this? I love what Tim Keller, in his masterful book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he says that Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so we could get access. He was bound, nailed, and so that we could be free. He was cast out so that we could approach. And Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. I love that. Jesus took away the, kind of, the only kind of suffering that can really destroy you. He took that so that now all suffering that comes into your life will only make you great. A lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond. And the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into somebody gorgeous. And so my prayer is that as Paul kind of interrupts his train of thought, his prayer to talk about what the gospel has done in him, Uh, I pray that we'd have that same sort of pause in our own life. Number one, that we just pray, Spirit of God, would you reveal the mystery of the gospel? If you've never given your life to Jesus and you don't understand what it's all about, um, before I would prescribe you a, a book or a podcast, I would encourage you just to pray that the Spirit would reveal who Jesus is to you. Secondly, is that, like Paul, you would embrace a posture of humility, that you would see yourself less than the least, not not in this um, not in this belittling kind of way, but in this beautiful kind of way of saying, "Oh Jesus, you must become greater, and I must become less." Thirdly, that we'd recognize that because of what Jesus has done for us. We now get to access the very presence of God and the goodness of God, not in through trepidation and fear with our tails between our legs, but with confidence and with boldness. And I think the result of that ends up being how Paul concludes this section of the letter. He says, listen, my my suffering, my imprisonment only is resulting in glory. It's only doing something not only in me, but it's doing something in you. And so my, honestly, one of my deepest prayers for you who are watching and listening to this is that the suffering in your life right now would not be, be belittled or swept under the rug or suppressed and be like, hey, just move past it or have enough faith. It would be named and honored for what it is. But at the same time, you'd receive those three things of comfort, communion and compassion. You receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit, communion with Christ in his suffering, and compassion to move you out of your suffering to those who are also suffering. So that purpose can be attached to the pain that you're receiving. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask, just like Paul said, that you'd reveal the mystery of the gospel to us. Lord, we, in, in just calling it a mystery, we know that there's things that, that are still too marvelous for us to even know. But Lord, we do ask for three specific things today, Lord Jesus. Number one, would you humble us? Would you remind us, Lord God, that in the dignity that you've given us and the significance you've given us, you've also given us an opportunity to think of ourselves or to think of others more, Lord Jesus, and to think of ourselves accurately? Next, Lord God, I just pray for freedom and confidence and boldness in how we approach you. Lord, if there's anyone watching this or listening that has felt fear or trepidation in their approach to who you are, I pray that you'd release them today in Jesus' name. And lastly, Lord God, I want to pray for any brother or sister watching this right now whose life is marked by suffering. Would you strengthen them right now in the name of Jesus? God, I pray that you would draw them deeper and closer to who you are. Lord, that you would allow them to experience communion with you Lord God that they'd recognize that their suffering actually joins them and connects them to the suffering you had on the cross and Lord Jesus I pray lastly Lord that you would move us in compassion in the midst of our suffering that it would not harden our heart but it would soften it and that we would begin to move outwardly towards people who desperately need to understand the communion and the comfort that you bring in Jesus name we pray amen thanks for listening to the light church podcast this sermon was recorded in san diego california we pray that the lord would speak to you through his word for more information you can visit our website lightsandiego.com